Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. In this episode, Chris and Corey discuss the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and its potential impact on the startup ecosystem and the broader economy. Chris explains that the venture capital industry is important for occasionally making an important company. But most of what Silicon Valley funds is R&D for unnamed corporate investors. He thinks debt will become more popular in the future because it has advantages for both parties. And he expects debt to be democratized more. The guys also discuss how the innovation economy depends on innovations that diffuse through the economy through various means. And how the VC industry operates as a salvage yard for the VCs in advance of failure. Finally, Chris and Corey predict that debt will become more popular and democratized in the future as more debt players come in to help companies and the pure equity games become trickier to play. Join us for this episode, The Salvage Yard, a hidden gem of Silicon Valley. We knew one thing for sure. The first time interest rates were raised by the Fed, the tech economy was going to lose a big chunk of its value. And when you lose a big chunk of value fast, more value goes out immediately because of the fear that all the value is going to go out. It's going to zero, right? So as soon as the Fed raised interest rates, the entire world of tech, which is predicated on zero interest rates, the valuations as a multiple of revenue, went down. How far should it have gone down? Who knows, right? But it went down 70% or so. So Silicon Valley Bank, as an example, its customers suddenly lost 70% of their value in 24 hours. And that was predictable. Yeah. That was completely yeah. predictable. So that effect had nothing to do with inflation because what Silicon Valley companies charge for their products is not relevant in the economy, trust me. It doesn't cause anybody to have to pay more for a grapefruit. It just doesn't. <laughs> so there's this tight coupling within Silicon Valley of the companies and how they're correlated. Mm-hmm. There's this centrality of mechanism. It's kind of like, why have two banks when you can have one? Sure, sure. VCs don't like variety. So who wants variety? Let's just... <laughs> and there was even more correlation and coupling. Oh, wealth management, you know, we'll do that for you, right? We'll give you your line of credit. We'll blah, blah, all this good stuff, right? We'll value your company. So one of the big deals in the world of tech is a 409A valuation. That's right. That thing's used, done once a year, probably takes some amount of time and they charge some large amount of money for it. It's become an industrial process and it allows you to set the most important thing about a company's compensation in Silicon Valley, the strike price of your employee stock options. That's right. That's right. Okay. So was Silicon Valley Bank involved in that? Sure. Mm-hmm. Bought a company that does that, put the brand on it, and away they went. So they're doing all this stuff. So I look at it like this. There was a center of correlation in tech called Silicon Valley Bank. Because the money from the checks that were written to these, I still think, younger and less experienced than might have been ideal as cash managers, since that's not their job. (laughs) Their main job is growth at all costs, right? Your job, Corey, grow as fast as you can. By the way, manage the cash really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Let's get the highest interest rate for it. Mm -hmm. Why? 
-hmm. Well, it sounds good, right? I don't know. My mom said to do that or something like that. Is it really a great idea to get the highest interest rate? Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Interest rates and risk always go in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And if your upside is in your growth, you shouldn't be trying to get more upside from this little bit of money you got. That's kind of nutty. If that was a great thing to do with money, they shouldn't have given it to you in the first place. I mean, that's crazy, right? Let's invest in a company so they can put the money in the bank and see how fast they can grow it. It's kind of a weird idea. Put the money in the bank yourself if you wanted to do it. So we have a centrality of correlation in a part of the economy that is non-linearly hypersensitive to interest rate changes. And in specific, the change from zero to some other number that's positive. It doesn't matter what that number is. A quarter point, half point, doesn't really make any difference because the valuations are predicated on not being able to make any money with your money. So yeah. at least these things in a portfolio will make you something and they yeah. make you a lot, actually. So yeah. suddenly there's a hurdle that shows up. That's right. And the hurdle runs now forever and it cuts the legs out from the entire valuation system, which happened in a day. Maybe we should ask our friend Chat GPT um, how this all ends and what his yeah. her opinion yeah. on it. You know, so. I asked it this question today. Oh, actually. there you go. Well, let's ask it right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what are the probable consequences for the? Let's ask about the broader economy. Economy of the collapse of SVB. Okay, let's see what we get. You could do episode after episode just reading what yeah. it says. Okay, so it talks about SVB and it says, well, SVB plays an important role in the startup ecosystem. Its collapse would not necessarily have widespread consequences for the broader economy. However, there are a few potential ways in which the collapse of SVB could impact the economy. By the way, anybody who doesn't think that chat GPT writes like an angel doesn't know anything about writing. <laughs> so one, loss of financing for startups. If SVB okay. were to collapse, by the way, chat GPT doesn't know that SVB has collapsed. Even though- Very true. Very true. That's right. Because mm-hmm. that's September yep. 2021. Mm-hmm. If SVB were to collapse, it would likely result in a loss of financing for startups and other high growth companies that rely on the bank services. This could make it more difficult for these companies to grow and innovate, which could have a negative effect on the overall economy over the long term. That's worth paying attention to, right? Two, disruption to the startup ecosystem. SVB is an important player in the startup ecosystem, providing not just financing, but also mentorship and other services to help startups succeed. That's interesting. If SVB were to collapse, it could lead to a disruption in the startup ecosystem, potentially causing a ripple effect that could impact other players in the industry. Three, potential loss of jobs. If SVB were to collapse, it could result in the loss of jobs for the bank's employees, as well as for the employees of the startups and other companies that rely on the bank's financing and services. While this would not necessarily have a significant impact on the broader economy, it could be devastating for the individuals and communities affected. So that's what ChatGPT has to say on that subject. Very sage prognostication there, I would say. It's pretty good. That doesn't even And that's after one prompt, right? Imagine if we kept drilling it down to to a couple, it would uh, would see. These are interesting 
times, I'll give you a personal view. I have always, not always, ever since my first funded startup, mm -hmm. I have felt that the venture world, how venture capital works is incredibly important for occasionally making an important company. The flow rate of important companies that come out of that system is pretty low. Maybe, I don't know, three a year, two a year. Mm -hmm. But run it for 30 years and you get 60 important companies. And then you get a bunch of other stuff that's going on. What is the other stuff? The other stuff is actually, and I've always made this claim and I'll make it right now. Most of what Silicon Valley funds is R&D for unnamed corporate investors. Hmm. Hmm. That's just what it is. Because if you look at the innovator's dilemma, the problem is that if you're a successful large corporate, you are structurally no longer able to innovate. And it has to do with the fact that whoever controls the P&L of your most successful product will psychologically they can't resist it. They will crush all attempts to innovate in ways that cause that product to be less relevant in the marketplace. They will not sacrifice their bonus for the company's future. Ah, they will not. Right. It never happens. It will never happen. And people who think it should happen should probably pay attention to the fact that it won't happen. Right? Just get over it. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. <laughs> Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. <laughs> And we're back with Corey and Chris. The late, great professor Clayton Christensen wrote a book that everybody in business should read and understand. And it basically says you're kind of toast when it comes to innovating once you get successful. Okay. So now what are you going to do? Well, he recommends that you spin off stuff to start things and so forth. But actually what really happens, what really happens is you go to the supermarket called, they didn't quite make it Silicon Valley companies. And you take comfort in the fact that the documents that govern those companies read like salvage plans for the VCs. Read right. one sometime and ask yourself of each word in that document, who is this for? And what does it anticipate? Who it's for? The guy's writing the checks. What does it anticipate? Failure. Got it. Beautiful. I think that's almost chapter one, verse one of, <laughs> I think it was one of our first episodes, I believe, right? They're written on the seller stack, the conversations, right? So, right. This is exactly this is, there. Yes. Uh, so, even though the book's watered down a little bit because chat uh, wasn't yeah, given yeah. much of a chance. It's but, still a sense of good idea. but this is the key is that the innovation economy itself doesn't depend on successful Silicon Valley companies. Yeah. It depends on innovations that diffuse through the economy through various means. So if you think about it, why should an innovation result in a company? 
it actually makes no sense, right? Everything mm -hmm. worth making should be a company. It's a non sequitur. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, Everything worth making should get in the market in a way that allows it to, to be used in useful ways to reach its potential. But should be a company? That's just craziness, right? And the VCs recognize this by setting up their businesses as salvage yards in advance of failure. And they push the companies to go big because the 60 or so that you're going to get out of 20 or 30 years of this all went big or shh, go away. Give us our time back. Yeah. Because being on the board of a company that's the living dead. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's what's really going on. So it's really valuable what was happening. It's just people were not comfortable with the idea that jobs could go away because a company goes away. And we probably shouldn't be comfortable with that idea because it's very discontinuous. We probably shouldn't write checks. I don't care if they're 35 years old. If I'm running a company, why do I need a $10 million check mm -hmm. to be written to me? I just need the money to run the company. Yeah, yeah. Right? So why do I have to do the cash management? Mm -hmm. How am I adding value by taking that check? Well, it's because we use this system called equity in order for somebody to have interest in a company that includes upside. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it like this. We haven't thought of a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway, these are my thoughts on this subject. As you know, I have them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. No, this, is a, this has been a great episode, a very timely episode, Chris. It's great that we had Ryan on there. We're going to get Ryan on there again. And we'd also love to have Robert Vera from the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship on his opinion too, since he's on the front lines of working with a lot of these startup companies that are at the nascent stage of funding. And they're at these multiple crossroads here, again, of revenue and debt and equity in which path indeed should they choose. So great stuff as always, Chris. I think we have our Narnia series is continuing of our Market Dominance Guys Collateral of Book. And any final thoughts here on this? We're going to listen to this episode like we did our COVID episodes a couple of years from now. So if I crack this episode a few years from now, what is the landscape does it look like after this little ripple in the markets? Well, I think the very next thing that's going to happen, and it's already happening today, we're only five days into this or whatever, is that debt is going to become popular because there's a lot more folks who play a debt role to help companies than can sensibly play an equity role. Mm -hmm. That has huge advantages uh, for both parties if done right. And I think you're going to see, I'll call it non-venture debt or debt as venture. I really like what Ryan's company is doing. I've spoken with them about maybe working with them. So smaller chunk sizes, they get you to be a little bit more cautious. Cycle times being shorter. I mean, equity has a cycle time on it. You want to see those T-bills as long. <laughs> equity is forever. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. That's what we found, right? So it's like we have this sandwich. We have a risk sandwich, which the T-bills are long and the risk is in their length, not in anything else about Oh, it. my gosh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, there's been a leapfrogging. By so I expect debt will become popular. Debt is, is something that will happen in much more, I'll call it be democratized more. You're going to have a lot more debt players who are going to come in and try to help companies. And it's going to be a little trickier 
to play the, the pure equity games that are played with the pedal to the metal stuff. It'll come back, but it's a little bit trickier. It's not like Silicon Valley VCs, they're not going to run out of money. I mean, good God, right? Pension funds and others yeah. have got to put their risk money somewhere. Sure, sure. But it, I think that's one of the things that's going to happen. I don't think you're going to see a big change in a way. It's one of these things that if you're running a company and you're highly tied up with SVB, then thank goodness for you, you didn't have to leave your money behind. At least you, mm -hmm. you get your cash back. But it creates opportunities for all the other places that cash could go. And some of that cash actually could go to servicing modest amounts of debt. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's dead on. And you and I and our teams, we're bigoted towards the revenue side and some of those metrics to track, especially comparison to what both Connect and Sell and Branch 49 could do to organizations versus what we saw from the great Trish Pertuzzi on what the landscape looks like. You do have to innovate or die because those numbers in the traditional SDR world just do not sustain any long-term growth and your attrition alone will cost you because no one's going to want to do anything except put a gun in their mouth with those type of activity numbers. So I see it. Well, Chris, another great episode for the Market Dominance guys and Chris Beal. This is Corey Frank. Until next time. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's Modern and Innovative Sales Toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.